chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And I want to read two verses to you um, that are at the beginning of this chapter. Again, remember that when Paul wrote these letters, he's not writing them with chapters and verses. He's writing them as a long-form letter. So they are just a letter. There is no breaks. There is no uh, distinction in them. He's writing them as, he, as you would write a letter. You, you don't write a letter to someone and say, reference verse number seven. Um, you just write a letter. And so Paul is doing this, And uh, but, in, but in this case, it's Luke, sorry, but, but in these letters, uh, there's no distinction. There's no number system. Um, Luke is writing this, and Luke is really writing a record of what Jesus has done. And so, what we, what we see here is uh, this chapter is actually really famous for the three parables that happen after the two verses that I want to read to you. It happens after the two verses that I'm going to read to you. D- these two verses I actually happened to read this week um, in, in my Bible reading. And uh, I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, get one. Uh, I found that even whether it be working out or trying to eat healthy, if I have a plan, it seems a lot easier. And, uh, and it just makes it consistent and regular. Um, but what happens after the first couple verses is what most people focus on. But I want to focus on the first two verses of chapter 15, of Luke chapter 15. Are you good with that? Do you have a choice? Okay, cool. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page. All right, Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Verse 2. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. And then I love this part. Even eating with them. Even eating. I cannot believe he would eat with them. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I want to pray over this. And uh, if you want to write down a title, you can. Uh, but but I, this is what I came up with. I'm not even sure I'm going to use it in the message. Uh, here's to the sinners. Here's to the sinners. I just want you to write that down. Um, I think uh, Christians' view of sinners, because they forget that they are one, um, often is way too jilted or, or biased or wrong. And so I want, to, I want to talk about this for a moment. You good with that? And I might ask you more questions than statements. Is that cool? All right. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I pray that today, right now, that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would, as the church, as we've come together this morning, we would get a view of what you see, that we would get a glimpse of what you see. And as we talk about all the time, we want people to see the real Jesus. Um, I pray that we would see Jesus in people, that we would see the people you died for, that you gave everything for, and that you commanded us and challenged us and modeled for us to love. And so I pray that we would, as people, Realize today um, that you are for us and that you are working in us so that you can work through us in the lives of people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, yesterday I was uh, at one of my favorite coffee shops and uh, was hanging out. It's the one that's right down the house from our, uh, right down the street from our house, and uh, was hanging out talking to a buddy of mine uh, named Ryan. Um, he uh, he's come here once I think. Uh, super good dude. Um, works in Dallas. Uh, lives in the mid cities, but loves Fort Worth. So he's kind of torn. And uh, but he. Um, 
we're just chatting, having a good conversation. He looks like, uh, he looks like the Beatles, like back in the day Beatles, like the hair and long, tall, you know, skinny jeans, the whole nine yards. Like you probably wouldn't care if he was terrible at guitar because he just looks like he's good at it. And, um, and uh, we're hanging out, we're just chatting. He, I, we, we, we just kind of ran into each other. And this girl walks in the front door of Roots, and I turn around to see her. And, uh, and I, I, have you ever had this moment where, where you think you know who this person is? but you're not quite sure, and you have a split-second decision to make, which is, will I acknowledge this person and, and by chance be wrong and be awkward, or do I not acknowledge this person and by chance end up being very rude? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you don't know where to go with it? So I just, and the sun was kind of shining from behind them, so I couldn't really make out who it was, and there were like two people that I thought it was. It was one of those where it was like, there's a chance you're this person or this person. Oh, and there's another chance that you're not either of them. But I went with the, the probability was two of three, okay, I'm pretty sure I know this person. And so I said, and I, I actually went really big with it. Like, I think I got excited or like nervous. And so instead of just being like, hey, it was like, hey, I got in a coffee shop talking to my Beatles friend and like, and I, hey, hi. And uh, she's like, hey. And, uh, and I said, how are you? She goes, good. And then it's like that awkward, like, do we further this conversation or do we just end it right there? And I, I ended it. I just went, and I turned back to Ryan, and and she went to her friend, and though I turned to Ryan and I go, "Sorry, dude, I'm a bit out of sorts right now. I don't know who I just said hello to." And uh, and he goes, he goes, "It's okay, you're a friendly person." And I go, "Yeah, it's still a little weird, um, like, you know, it's like I don't just say hi to every girl who walks in the, you know, like, hey, hey, Roots, what's up? This is where you meet somebody and." Beyond the fact, I'm married, y'all, and uh, to that hot girl I was just telling you about. And, um, like, it's, that's weird. And a lot of people in this coffee shop know that I'm a pastor, so that adds a layer of, like, awkwardness, right? Like, why is the pastor saying hi to young ladies who walked, that guy walked in, he didn't say hi to him. He just said hi to the girl who walked in, like, why is that? A, and I'm, I'm, I'm the whole, that's all running through my head while Ryan's trying to tell me about his life, and I'm thinking about what do I do right now? I don't know what to do right now. And so I'm, he gives me the grace to kind of process through this and, and I'm thinking about it, and I finally, and then while that happened, I watched someone else walk through the doors, and as they're walking past me, I see the C3 on the back of their t-shirt, but I know I don't really know this person, so I'm like, how'd you get our shirt? Give it back. Uh, and uh, so that, that, so I'm just like in a weird place at the time, right? Uh, I find out, I realize later as I'm talking to Ryan who this person was, it was actually uh, Sarah Schneider who was up here on keys. It was her sister, so I did know her. Okay, so not weird. Um, and so I went over it later and I said, hey, I, like, and I actually thought it might have been, uh, if y'all remember, Ruthie, Donnie and Ruthie came and led worship with us, and good friends, and uh, they kind of looked similar, and there's all kinds of things going through my mind. But it was just like big, it was like this big, hey, how are we doing? You're not here for me. And, uh, and that was it. And uh you know, one of the things that happens in this verse, Luke 15, I actually 
posted this this week on Instagram, and I just, I, I just quoted this verse, and I put just uh, goals, uh, hashtag goals, because that's what the cool kids do, and um, so I was like, I'm cool, and so I wrote goals because, I don't know, and uh, I, but my goal was, I loved the verse when I read it. Uh, I know what happens after this. What happens after this is the parable of the lost sheep, uh, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. So, so you understand the purpose. The purpose is really three parables saying the same thing. Three parables emphasizing the same thing. Sometimes Jesus would give you two parables trying to emphasize something. This is the one, one of the famous chapters, Luke chapter 15, where Jesus gives three parables all emphasizing the same thing. Is someone, something lost being found. So Jesus, the context of this, though, is that Jesus is hanging out with sinners, notorious. I love the New Living Translation, notorious sinners, right? Uh, tax collectors. I've always loved the distinction that the gospel writers make between tax collectors and notorious sinners. Like, like that's a harsh, like, these are the bad people, and these are the bad people, like tax collectors. Like, you got to be some kind of different to, uh, to end up being called tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus is hanging out with these guys. Jesus did this often. This was not something that was abnormal to Jesus. This was kind of the, the pattern of Jesus' life. Now, Jesus was very strong in this. He would always be around. In fact, he would bring his disciples uh, to the table. In fact, there are more than, uh, more than a handful of stories where Jesus is mixing his two worlds. How many of you guys got your church friends? Right? And you got your not church friends? Which is, I think, a weird deal. I, I just... And I understand why, because some church friends can be weird. But come on, let's be honest. Some non-church friends can be weird, too. Like, let's, let's, all our worlds are kind of weird. Everybody's got weird people in whatever world you live in. Can we all be honest about that? Like, weird doesn't pick categories. Weird is just existing in a lot of different spaces. But we tend to categorize our life. We tend to, and that's kind of the purpose of some of our dinner parties. Our dinner parties is to kind of try to take the lines that we draw in our world out and take them away and erase them because there are too many of those drawn. There are too, look, listen, in a culture right now where lines are drawn almost every single day, you see a new tweet drawing a new line, or you see a new news report drawing a new line, you're kind of going, my goodness, can we just get to the place where unity is happening? Because that's what Jesus died for. Jesus died for unity, period. That's, the gospel story is a story of us unifying with him and unifying with others. And when we don't get it unifying with others, we're probably not quite unifying with him. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. That our, our, the real truth of, of the gospel working in our lives is that we are loving people well. And last week we talked about washing feet. If you, did not, if you were not here last week, I really want to encourage you to go listen. That might have been one of the more important messages I've ever preached in my life. Um, washing each other's feet was not just a cool moment Jesus did for the disciples, but a pattern that Jesus set for his disciples to do for one another. If you want to do relationship well, you better get used to washing each other's feet. Amen? If you ain't ready to wash somebody's feet, don't get married. If you're not ready to wash each other's feet, don't go into business with each other. <laughs> if you're not ready to wash each other's feet, and, and some of y'all are taking this literal, stop it. Um, <laughs> the journey that you go on is going to get your life a little bit messy. And you need to be prepared that the moment we walk out of this place, there's a chance our feet are going to get dirty again. The moment we walk in this place, they're going to get washed again. Then we're going to leave, might get dirty again. Then we're going to come back, they're going to get washed again. Then we're going to leave, and dinner parties, and Sunday mornings, and gatherings, and getting together. That's what, what has to happen. 
right? And so Jesus is in this place where he's mixing these worlds, and he's so down to wash each other's feet and make sure that everybody is feeling welcomed. And, and because I, some of the times we think all Jesus did was eat with sinners and tax collectors. That's not true either. In fact, the story of the prostitute woman coming to Jesus and washing his feet, anointing his feet, and washing his feet, all that kind of stuff, happened at the table of a Pharisee. Jesus was an equal opportunist. He would sit at anybody's table who was willing to let him sit there. So sometimes we kind of use these stories as a way to bash the religious or bash the Pharisees or bash these. Jesus was not, Jesus understood. In fact, he tells a story in John where he says, I didn't come for those who think they are righteous. I came for those people who know they are sinful, the ones who are sick. He was not saying some are righteous and some are sinful. He was saying those who think they are but aren't, but those who are and know it. He's putting us all on the same playing field. He's saying the ones who are going to receive this the greatest and in the biggest way are the people who understand that they need it. Right? And yes, I'm all over the place right now, but this is good. So he brings the disciples, and, and he's hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners, and, and, and he's not just hanging out with them. They're, they're often, in fact, the word that the, he uses here, this word often, is that he is re, they are regularly coming and finding Jesus. They are regularly finding themselves in the presence of Jesus that they might hear what Jesus is teaching. That's what the gospel should do. That's what the good news of Jesus Christ should do. It should actually, believe it or not, the, the message Jesus preached was one that should attract those who he's trying to reach. That it should attract people who understand that shame and guilt or sin or whatever, as, as the Hebrews writer says, the, the weight that so easily entangles us, the things that so easily entangle our lives, and the sin, understanding that there are multiple things that can trip us up. And Jesus' message, the gospel, the good news is for all people, and so the sinners and the, the notorious sinners would show up and listen to Jesus teach. That's how it should have been. That's how it should be, is that the gospel that Jesus preached is one that's actually attractive. The only people it wasn't super attractive to was the people who, who already thought they had it together. In fact, the way that Luke writes this, the, the, there's one commentator who says the issue here isn't necessarily the standard Jesus set, but the standard the Pharisees set. So their reasoning for why they were notorious sinners was not the standard of Jesus, was the standard of the Pharisees. It was the standard of people who had said, you have to be this before we will accept you. And so they called them certain things and said certain things about them. And so their frustration, and this is where I go back to the root story. This is where I go back to my coffee shop story. The reason, and this is where I don't love New Living's translation, where the, the first verse I love, the, the often withdrew and often found Jesus and listened to his teaching. The second part of this is a little, it's a little weak on what's happening here, and I'm not questioning the scholars who did this, but if you look at other translations, you would see some other words used where in verse 2 here it says, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating. In other translations, you would find, in most translations, you would find the word welcome, or receive or accept. How many of you have welcome in your translation? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, we've got a few. Anybody not reading their Bible? You're just looking at the screen? Okay, so that's a weird question. Um, okay. In other words, in other words, the issue the Pharisees had was not that sinful people. Again, I think people of God live in this weird 
dichotomy where it's a now and not yet, where we are both saints and sinners, where we are both people who are made righteous by Jesus, but also still live a human life and sometimes step in it. And sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes we mess up and sometimes we do things in a way that maybe we shouldn't. And yet Jesus still sees us as one that we, he gave everything for and gave us his righteousness. There's this weird kind of place that we live where we are both sinners and, and there's this kind of fight on a regular basis. That's why Paul tells us to put on this new nature, this new He's telling us to put it on because the robe in his time would have meant identity. What you wore was your identity. It, it linked you to your family or linked you to where you live, to your status or to your location. So what he's trying to say is put this new nature on because that is who you are. You may think you are a sinner, but I see you as something else. It's the power of the gospel, man, is that it is not up to you. It is up to him. It is up to what he has done. All you need to do is wear the robe. Amen. And, and, and so in this verse where it says associating, for some of you, he's welcome because what, what happens here is that the Pharisees see uh, Jesus eating at the table with notorious sinners and tax collectors. The table was a sacred space. I believe it still is. I believe the table, it's why so many relational things happen that, that, are, that are, I think the reason we have so many difficulties in families and in relationships is because we have made the table a collection point, not a, a conversation place. How many of you use your dinner table as a catch-all? When you, our, we, it just so happens that our, you, know, you got the formal one that stays clean and never touches anything. And then you got the one that you actually sit at. But really, like when we walk in our house, because it's right by the garage, we take our stuff and we like set it down. It's a big space to put things down. Otherwise, it's the floor and that's, you know. And so what, so many times we just, we just drop our stuff on the table rather than talk through our stuff. And, 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 and the science is there. The idea that the table could be a place where healing happens, where a table, the, the, peop, the kids who get around the table with their family on a regular, consistent basis are often more emotionally healthy and actually do better in school. Why? Because the table is a sacred space. And, and the, the Jews would have believed this. But here's, here's what it was. They believed that if someone sat at a table with you, you were accepting them. That you were willing to be in relationship with them. See, see, uh, just like the Sabbath, the, the Pharisees would use the Sabbath as a way to condemn you because you did something on the Sabbath. So they used the Sabbath as a way to lord it over people where God says, I am the God of the Sabbath. And I, have, I made the Sabbath for people and not people for the Sabbath. In other words, I've made this for as a place of rest and healing and restoration. So he gets in trouble for healing someone. The Pharisees go, how dare you do any work? And he goes, I'm sorry, this is actually what this day is for, is to heal people. That's what it's for. The rest is healing so that you might go and do your work well. I want you to take the day off so you can be refreshed so that when you get back into your work, which is also God's place, right, you can do it well. And so there's this, the, the Pharisees are looking at the table and they're using it as a way to exclude people. They're using it as a place to actually draw a line and say, you cannot be at this table. It's why they got so out of sorts when the, the, the lady came to Jesus and washed his feet with her tears. They, they were, wait, well, hold on. You, no, she can't even be here. Like, she's not even allowed. There's a lot of strikes against her right now. Beyond the fact that she's known as someone who is, who, who is unrighteous, beyond the fact that she's a, a woman, and beyond the fact that we, she can't be at our table because she is not righteous and clean like us. And Jesus says, no, 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 go ahead. Like, let's make this happen. 
And, and Jesus is doing the same with these notorious sinners, right? He's sitting at the table with them, and, and, and they're having a conversation. And that's what the church should look like. The church should look like a place of people who understand who they are and what they need. And understand that everyone is welcome at the table. It is not so sacred that you can exclude people from it. In fact, it is so sacred that it should be the very place you bring everyone to. Because you believe in the power of what it can do. See, sometimes we use the, 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 the power of something as a way to diminish others. But actually, it's the very thing that should draw people to it. See, we, we take the gospel, this amazing story of God's grace towards all people, and use it as a way to say, well, you obviously don't measure up. And Jesus is going, yeah, I know that. That's why I did what I did. It's because the standard is too high for you to reach it on your own. That's why I showed up in the first place. It's to restore humanity. It's why Jesus would always call himself the son of man. The son of man didn't mean men. It meant man as in humanity. And son was not necessarily a literal sonship. It meant that I was in this category of uh, this grouping. And so what he was saying was, I am one of y'all. I am, I am here in this place. As, I'm as human as you. And I'm going to give my life for that humanity. I'm going to give my life for that. And so Jesus is not just associating with notorious sinners and tax collectors, Jesus is welcoming and embracing and accepting. The, the thing I wrote this week that I thought was a little challenging for me was, which, which table am I? Which table do I have? Who finds their way to my table? Or maybe better yet, which table do I find myself on my way to? Am I, am I welcoming people who other people might look down upon or might say is an outcast or might look at them and say, no, you're not allowed here? Or am I going there? Are there things that scare me away? And I, look, I think we all have prejudice. I really do. I think there's, there's everyone us, every one of us has a line that we will not cross. Every one of us has a line, every single one of us, whether Jesus or not. We, we all have a line that we tend to say, no, I'm not going to go there. And yet, and yet, maybe that's exactly where we should go. Because the power of the gospel is not that I accept people that I would accept naturally. It's the power of the gospel is that I would accept people that I would not accept naturally. The power of the gospel is that I love people that I would not in of my own strength love. See, that's why Jesus says that they will know you by the way you love one another. It's because there is power in the fact that I would love somebody that maybe I don't always want to. That I'm, I'm actually erasing the lines. And I'm actually saying, I, everyone's welcome at this table. I say, I, I trust God enough that if I will open up a space for people that others might not like, that others might think is too, well, I don't know if you can do that or go to that place. Or that. Again, making it all about the legalism or all about the ritual or all about the do's and don'ts of relationship. But the, it, it, if I just open up that space, do I trust the Holy Spirit enough to use me in those moments to love people well, to serve people well? Do I trust God enough? And I understand there's discernment. For some of us, there are certain things that we, if we, it, it's like if you put ice cream thing in front of me, man, it's going to be gone. There is no chance that I'm saving you any, right? So there is some discernment and things that we maybe should not put ourselves in front of. But that is a health thing for us, not a rejection thing for others. Do you understand? 
That there's a, there's a place that we, you and I, and that's why the Bible, that's why Paul gives us some gray areas. It says, if you've got certain convictions about your life, please live by those. Don't make them doctrine for others. But please live by the convictions that I've placed in your heart because it's healthy for you. But do not use it as a way to make other people feel bad or condemned for what they are. And so, so anybody, anybody with me this morning? Because if our goal is that we would see Jesus, because we are just some real people trying to encounter a real Jesus, that's it. I actually find that if we are fake here, then people will get a fake Jesus. I find the power of what Jesus has done is in the fact that, I, yes, before I knew Jesus, I was this. Then I met Jesus. And then after I met Jesus, I was mostly, I was, I was moving in the right direction, but I still wasn't perfect. I think so many times we make our story one of these like point A, point B, point C, it's got to be, point C, it's got to be done. Like it's, okay, I was this, now I'm at Jesus, now I'm all that. Like everything's good. Even though Paul was pretty clear that what God started in you, he was going to perfect until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, which meant that you were going to be in process until Jesus shows up and cleans it all up. I think the power of the story, the power of my testimony is the fact that even in the midst of the fact that I have not done it all right since I met him, he is still with me. Like, he's still at my table. He's still sitting with me, the notorious sinner. He's still sitting with me even in the midst of the times I get frustrated or the times where I say something or the times where I do something that maybe is outside the bounds and maybe outside the standard and maybe outside. And Jesus is not going, well, I'll use that to move you away from the table. Actually, he uses that to make sure we sit at the table. And he processes this thing, processes this thing with me. And he renews my mind. And, he, he, and as I surrender this thing to him, and as I surrender myself to him, he, he, he continues to renew my mind. And then in Romans 12, too, the promise that I will say, I think I might say this every single Sunday, the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. It's as we surrender our mind to, that we might, and, and that does not mean surrender our intellect, surrender our intellect. It means surrender the intellect so that we might know what he has for us. It doesn't mean go, well, I, I, I get rid of it. It means let God renew it in light of who he is. And I, 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 I just, I love these two because the, the next three parables are all about Jesus. If you don't know the stories, let me just tell you the stories real quickly. This is my Cliff's Notes version, okay? And I'm not sure they'll be really good. This is not, like, approved by anyone. I'm just going to give you my best shot. Um, the first one is, uh, I, I believe the first one is the lost coin. I was going to say that, but I'll look just to make sure. Um, the lost coin, a woman who loses a coin. She has other coins, but she loses one coin. How many of you know that feeling? You got, you, got, you got nine other dollars, but you lost one. And it just doesn't feel right. Nine doesn't sound right. Ten sounds better. Right? You're going to go look for the one. And it says that she found the coin, and she comes back, and she grabs her friends and says, let's celebrate because I found what I had lost. Okay. The next one, the lost sheep. The shepherd has 90, 100. One of them takes off. He's still got 99. He's still got 99, y'all. Kind of feels like he's being greedy. And he goes searching for the one that was lost. And he goes and finds the one that was lost and brings him back. I want you to understand. Brings him back. Maybe there was an original intent for you and I. He's bringing us back to the original design. He's bringing us back to the original intent. He's bringing us back to the original thing. He's trying to get us back to what we were made for, community. Back to what we were made for, purpose in the context of others. Back to healthy relationship and life-giving relationship. Back, because even God created us where there was, he looked at Adam and goes, you are not enough, sir. I'm going to create a woman. 
Amen. <laughs> Hashtag International Women's Day. What? And, uh, and, 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 and he goes, oh, okay, so this, I'm bringing you back. Every one of these stories has this element, not of like, oh, I never knew you were there. None of these stories have this element of Jesus going, oh, I didn't know that coin even existed. Not like you're walking down the street and you go, oh, a dollar. Someone's looking for that dollar. All of these have an element of I knew them already. I know you already. You are not someone I didn't know. He's not sitting at the table with notorious sinners and tax collectors going, I didn't even know. Man, it is so good to finally meet you. No, he's sitting there going, I love you. In fact, the reason he's telling the stories is because some religious people started complaining about who he was associating with. So he turned to the religious people while the other people are standing in the room listening to him talk. I love how Jesus set some people up. And he says to them, hey, let me just tell you three stories. And he tells the story of the lost coin. Then he tells the story of the lost sheep. And the same thing happens. The shepherd comes back, invites his family and his neighbors to come and celebrate with him. And then the last one, which a lot of people have heard just because it's a, it's a popular story, is this parable of the lost son. The lost son goes and leaves, and, uh, and, and it's very offensive for him to ask for his inheritance, but he does it anyways. He gets his inheritance, he goes into the world, squanders it, and the same culture that he thought he was going to get the most from is the one who let him eat from the pig's pen. Like, I'm just going to tell you that, that, that sin typically takes you to a place where you are getting what you, what you thought you wanted, but you, you end up getting something far, far less. It, it is this trappings of what culture believe, tells you is success or tells you is is what you're made for and and so he's over here and he's doing this thing and then he comes back and the, the son is the father is sitting at the front door of the house and he looks out and he sees his son and he he, he runs out to meet his son and again another part of the story he does it's not like he didn't know the son existed what I love about the third story is a little bit different. The first two is where the, 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 the shepherd and the woman go and look for the coin or look for the sheep. In this story, it is the, the, the lost son who is coming back to the father, and the father is running out to meet him. And, and so we all get here a variety of different ways, but the reality is, is that, that Jesus is not telling a story that says, I didn't know you were there. He's always known you were there. He's always known you were there. His desire is that he can get you back to where you belong. And so if you're not willing to sit at the table with him, if you're not willing to sit at the table with the people that God has called home, then how are you going to get them back home? I love this. I hope that our church becomes a church where we are accepting people who other people might consider outcasts, who other places might consider the outsiders. I, and, and, and you see, when I say outcast, some, all of us have probably a mental picture of who we think that is. That's why I say that there are some lines that we all draw. And, we, and I'm not, everyone in here probably has a little bit of a different picture of what that outcast is. It might be with our personal experience. It might be something that we've seen other people tell us is or what, whatever it is. Um, we all have different versions of what an outcast look like. And, uh, and, and maybe that's the point. The point is that what is your view of an outcast? What is your view of someone who might be called a notorious sinner? What is your view of what might be called a tax collector? Because maybe, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe the fact that you see them in your mind's eye is, the re is a vision God's given you that you might go and reach those people. We all have different views of, 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 of what people should look like, should feel like, should be. And Jesus is kind of going, hey, they're all welcome here. They're all welcome here. I don't, I don't want to be a, a part of a church that's trying to uphold this standard that, that um, I, that's trying to say to people, you can't sit here until you've figured it out. 
I think that's a really poor way of doing things. It's, it's almost as to say, hey, you know, I've got a candy store, and you can't come in until you've chosen which candy you're going to get. Right? I want to be like my five-year-old going to every single bin, opening it up, and almost taking it with my hands, right, until mom comes along and says, you can't do that. I, I want to be a place where you just walk in these doors, and whether, whatever you're tracking in, whatever you're bringing in, uh, we're going to help you wash that off. We're not going to point it out. We're not going to go, well, I can't believe you stepped in that, and I can't believe you walked through that, and I can't believe you don't. No, no, we're going to go, hey, I think I have a way to get that off your life. And, it, and, and, and a church that realizes, and a people that realize that all of us have some area of our life, some place in our life that needs to be welcomed to the table, is going to be a, do a really good job of welcoming people to the table. See, some of us end up at the table, whether it be a dinner party or with, with other friends, and we, we, sit, at a ta- we sit down and, and we leave certain parts of our life out because we don't believe that part of our life is welcome. We don't believe that part qualifies for this conversation. And again, I think that begins to ruin the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is that whatever part you have shows up and Jesus is there and still there and will not leave there. He is with you and for you no matter what. So sinners and and saints alike, all of us together in the mix, what table are you sitting at? Who's sitting at your table? And what table are you not willing to go to because you don't feel like you qualify? What I found is when I think that I don't qualify for a table, then I begin to think that other people don't either. I begin to think that other people can't quite make it here either. But I would realize that God's forgiven me of much. God's given me grace for much. Then guess what? I can give grace. I can welcome people. Let's not just associate. Let's welcome. Let's receive. Those who might be rejected those who might have been called outsiders or outcasts, those who might have gotten the label notorious sinners. Let's find that table. Let's sit down. Let's welcome those people to our table. Let's be a church where people are welcomed and loved and served and given everything because we knew they existed, because God knows they exist, because God knows, and all he wants, what he desperately desires is that they would make it back home. And when they do, in fact, one of the stories here is, that when they do, all of heaven rejoices. You want to know what brings God more joy than anything else? When people receive what he's given to them. When anything else. And Jesus actually says, it, it, sorry, the gospels actually say that for the, the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him. The joy. Some would say that that joy is you and I. The joy of bringing his family back. The joy of bringing back the lost son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. The joy of bringing those people back and saying, oh, man, come on back. I love you. I'm so for you. I'm so with you. That joy, he endured the cross. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you that there's grace and mercy in this place. God, I thank you that you are with us and you are for us. And God, while there are decisions to make and while there are things that we can do uh, as we walk through this life of faith, God, I pray that we never get to a place 
where the grace you gave us for our past and our present and our future somehow becomes a wall or a dividing line between us and others, but that it is a constant reminder of how much grace we can give others, of how we can welcome people to our table and we can welcome people into our lives. I pray that today and over the next several weeks, God, we would become people who are inviting people to the table. Let us invite some people who get some people mad. Let us invite some people to the table to get some other people uncomfortable. God, I pray we do not live in the comfort of our lives. I pray that we live in that place where you are calling us out into new things, calling us out into places where others aren't willing to go. I pray that we're a courageous church. I pray that we're a bold church. I pray that we would make the invitation any chance we get. But I pray that right now, there's for some of us, we don't feel like we can be at the table. We don't think that that table is for us. And maybe, maybe it's not just, maybe for some of us, we just don't feel like that table is for all of us, every part of us. We have to leave certain parts of ourselves behind. But that is to diminish what you've done for us. That is to say that your gift and your sacrifice for us was not enough. And there are some of us in here that still feel shame and still feel guilt and still feel condemnation for things that we've done in our past in our marriages, in our relationships, in our, with our friendships, in our just everyday life where there are things that are just will not leave us alone. They just continue to badger us. And the thing we don't need is, 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 is for us to just kind of somehow tuck it under something or push it into the corner. But what we really need to do is expose it to the one who receives us so well and washes our feet and says, walk out of here a new person. And guess what? If you get your feet dirty again, you can come right on back because I am not leaving you. I'm still here. Let us rejoice in every single sinner who finds Jesus. Let us rejoice in every single person who realizes that includes every single one of us, that God's grace is big. God's grace is good. I want you to take 30 seconds. You just take 30 seconds. We do this every Sunday. I want you to take 30 seconds, and I want, I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit, hey, what would you want me to do with this? God, what do you want me to do here? Is there a decision I need to make? Is it, do I just need to receive your grace?